Yeah, you should do it. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Pop yeah. it, bye, bitch. Weirdly disciplined of us to be uh, having our first drink of the evening at 10 o'clock at night. End of an era. Tonight basically is the night that we knew that the Trump era was going to end um, and get replaced by a much more mediocre era full of no one being happy with anything. Uh, but yeah, so here. Cheers, let's cheers again. Cheers. Cheers again to the end of the Trump era. And, you know, I'll take a sip first. Yeah, put it down, baby. The, the Trump era is really, I guess, what launched us into podcasting. There were there, so I think that's why we too have true. To, so uh, and you know they call it the presidential um, race that launched a million podcasts, <laughs> um, and we're one of those million of that horde of audio. Proud to be here with you. You know what's crazy? I was just thinking the other day that it we we caught like the probably first and a half wave of like amateur podcasts, and it was novel enough that. Like people would travel down to Park Slope to be on our podcast. Now I think no one would because it's just not different enough. You know, everyone has a podcast. I think uh, I semi agree. I think some people, our friends, would go on it that are also outward or outgoing people. Uh, but yeah, it'd be a little bit harder to book people nowadays. And we were we were not at the vanguard, but also not at the tail end of it. <laughs> no, so true. Solid solid middles, which is what we'll be our whole lives. <laughs> just excellent. Average Joes, like our future president. Just yeah. like our future president, uh, provided he lives to January twentieth. Um the our, our paper mache boy. The bottle is a Chandon Brut Classic, California, by the way. It's uh Dom Perignon. Dom Perignon. <laughs> Over audio it's Dom Perignon. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do in this episode of this 62nd episode of Infinity License, we're just going to try to, so a couple years ago, Brian, do you remember when we did our two hour Bonanza episode? I do. I remember a good portion of it. I (laughs) I think we got kind of drunk during it too. (laughs) What was the uh, concept of that episode? It was a sweet 16 style bracket where we kind of distilled a list of 16 causes Symptoms. We had like 32. No, it was 16. It right? was 16. Yeah, I okay. think 32 would have been, that would have been a five hour yeah. podcast that no one listened to as, instead of a two hour <laughs> one that no one did. Um, and the, we distilled it, distilled it down to a list of reasons why we got Trump, which was like the hot take, um, you know, f- fuel at that time, I suppose. People would say, this is the reason why we got Trump. That's why we got Trump. We selected, we cho- chose 16 of the top contenders. And did it kind of like just face them up against each other to try to boil it down to a, a final. A which final was? Four, which is the internet had broken our brains. Too, too true, again. And the thing that that was kind of making fun of at the time was like, you know, everything was given as a reason why, reason why Trump happened. Like that was the, that's been the canard of our era. Like, um, I gave you this example before, but like, you know, I remember there was uh, some podcast host talking about, um, how Obama uh, had a bunch of uh, proposed some environmental regulations that he didn't follow through on, and then now we have Trump, you know, and the implication was like that was some played some sort of role, and it had it like many of the th- reasons why people 
have attributed to you know like what, how Trump got elected, how this how this aff- shock offensive on our system was permitted to happen. It's mixed up with a lot of you know that's not true. There's not one truth. What we're going to do now, now that we know that this era is ending, God willing. Um, yeah, we may have, we may have blown our load a little too soon, but it'll be fine. The only thing that's going to not happen is if he doesn't like leave the White House, and if America, maybe America will end before January twentieth. Who knows? That'd be pretty funny. <laughs> northeast Northeast Economic Region, let's go. <laughs> and we're bringing along. What's our back. main export? Takes <laughs> <laughs> and maybe craft beers, of which yeah. we're gonna after we dip into this, we're gonna get into those. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Um, so this is going to be a companion piece to send off the that fat motherfucker into the sunset. Um, the big sassy daddy. The big sassy boy. The big the big box man. Um, Mr. Long Ties. <laughs> and uh, what we're going to try to do is like basically the original idea of this was to try to figure out how the Trump era would be remembered because. Everyone, I think, has this idea that, like, you know, there's going to be a... We're going to look back on this and think something. But we were talking about that, and then Crooked Meg came out and pointed pointed out, like, the whole point of Trump is that you can't predict anything. So any specificity of the future is futile. So, you know, we have no idea how we're going to remember this. Like, who knows, literally, if there even will be a country... I, I would say that... That, is, that looks like ours. yeah. That is going to be an underlying theme in a lot of what I talk about because to me that is actually what is the what has been the most liberating thing about Trump. Whereas that I think I call this a spiritual revel- revelation I've had in the past four years living under the Trump administration is that I think a lot of our lives are governed by planning and by uh, a routine and understanding what is going to come next and a kind of a guarantee in that. And that's been actually pretty much American life, I would say. For a good portion of our post war periods, I mean, post, yeah, exactly. Yeah, last hundred years, basically. Last hundred years, years, definitely true of the end of history era, basically, with the, with some exceptions, obviously, like nine eleven, that kind of stuff. Um, but he kind of liberated us from that. That in a way, and I am no fan of the president, as you know, but it is kind of liberating because he kind of said he flipped the script and just said, "You're not going to know what I'm going to do next," and. He, Maybe that's okay, and you you will still live like a lot of us. I mean, granted, a lot of people who die from COVID aren't still alive. <laughs> so maybe, maybe, but like, it, it it was a revelation to me that there was what were normal, safe parts of life became unpredictable, but you, our existence continued. So to, that's something I that totally under under sign on to that, and you know the reason why, uh, well, one reason why everything is so stable, why you know businesses care less about the amount of tax they have to pay. They What they want is stability. They want the ability to plan and forecast. If you can plan and forecast, you can engage in really any kind of enterprise or productive activity, right? Um, and so, you know, there's so much institutional inertia towards yearning for stability that that makes it even crazier that he single-handedly just threw so many wrenches in so many aspects of life. You know, that is one thing that, you know, especially if anyone were to ever talk about the anti-corporatist aspect of Trump, the Trump era, that's one of them. I mean, they don't like that part of it. I think know? that's I think that's why over the past couple of days that people have been like, well, it's been chaos and all the vote counting and you can't really understand it. Why is the stock market going up? And the stock market obviously is not a reflection of the economy as a whole. But I think it's been going up because I think that the market senses that Joe Biden was probably going to win 
and that there would be a, a return to just kind of guaranteed outcomes. We would know even if things were going business wasn't going to meet revenue or wasn't going to meet profit, we would know about it or we'd have a good we'd be able to, to, to forecast it in a normal way. And yeah. th you know what? They honestly might also be able to push their agenda more in that exactly. administration. So they probably definitely, they're definitely thinking that too. But they'd, they'd get a guarantee or have their guy inside and be like, we know that you're going to get this done. This bill is going to pass the, this amount of stimulus. He's their boy for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah, so, so let's just keep it. Let's just keep the, the thing marching forward. Yeah. So what, We'll start with like what actually happened. We know we don't. This is a companion piece to the sort of how did Trump happen. This is like what did it mean? I think, like take, and um, what what happened is simple. Uh, in 2015, Donald Trump needed money. He the only, we know this from reporting that's come out relatively recently. Um, he needed money, and so he needed to reinvent himself a, a like third time. Like he, the Apprentice was gone. And so what does he do? But he fulfills his long threatened um, move to run for president, largely uh, parroting the same, uh, you know, racism and flawed understanding of foreign policy that he had been spouting in like talk shows in the 80s. Right. And so um, he won the election against Hillary Clinton, but that's actually less interesting than why he won the than him winning the primary against going up against other Republicans, probably mostly, I think, a reflection of the flaws in the primary system that just skew more extreme. But regardless, all the pro-corporate, you know, the pro, uh, the super Christian, all, the, all those factions basically subsumed to this reality show guy who was just this, uh, I read someone once said he was um, speaking to the little guy, which no one had done before, and he was too big and loud and rich to ignore right and that's basically what happened and it just kind of intrigued everyone he got three billion dollars worth of free media coverage and um then going into an election against a historically bad candidate that was also uh you know trying to overcome sexism in addition to late you know things like the comey letter which we you know yeah. uh forget now but you know and and who won the popular vote okay. all of this led led up to basically i think a probably a statistical fluke. Um, I think that if you had had, if you'd iced the kicker and had another election the next week, I don't think Trump would have won again. Honestly, that's my own personal opinion. But regardless, what happened after that was that as soon as this chaotic thing happened, it became this moment that Brian, I think you would agree. It, it ended up kind of filtering into the same lens as like a nine 11 or a crash. Like how did it differ from Obama? Like, cause that was also historic. It was historic. But to me, I always, I think at a certain point in 2007, it was understood that any Republican was really, to me, was probably going to have an uphill battle, whether it was against, I think Hillary Clinton probably could have won in 2008 pretty easily. Uh, I, I think, and it was historic. I remember that moment, like having a, the first black president was a big thing, but it, to me, the difference is that almost felt as a person who had lived at that time, to me, I was like, it was amazing and crazy in a cool way but also i was like this was going to happen like I, I really didn't see i was like the outcome as the outcomes were coming in i was a little incredulous but i was like it makes sense the economy's cratering he's he is this weird i mean the likenesses of obama and trump are like they're they kind of both embodied this 
They're perfect uh, political animals. Political animals, yeah. Like where it's like they, they like Obama in the way that he's cool and was like kind of this first celebrity po- politician turned celebrity, and Trump just being celebrity, mm-hmm. but like both kind of cracking into the celebrity sphere and its its overlap with the political sphere. I yeah. remember uh, Ann Coulter um, when Obama was you know about to get the other th- difference. So the reason that like Obama's history, the historicity of that doesn't compare to Trump, I think, is because. Obama was a validation of the system. Trump just completely fucking threw a bomb in it. And and also just that, like, I thought that people, like, what do Americans want? They want competent governance over right. chaos. And I was wrong to, well, this is the question. I mean, was I wrong to view it that way? I think that's the gamble that the Robbie Mook made, you know, who clearly doesn't know anything, possibly has never visited America. And I think at that point in history, we had all bought into that, the, the sabermetric analytical play the, the data is just going to sort itself out. The data works. It's also at the height of like a lot of tech cup, like, yeah. like, like the, the tech bubble, like Google and Twitter and all these other companies and Apple are very invested in the American government, very involved in the Obama administration, had sold us that like, well, it's big data and big stats prove out. So we're like, okay, we all bought it. Like, I think we were all like, yeah, the math checks out. So she's going to win. <laughs> and then the math didn't check out. <laughs> right. And the, the reason that, that we thought that the, the data would, would bear out is just because fundamentally, like, the U.S. is a rational actor. Like, we always talk about Iran doesn't want to really go to war because they're a rational actor, even though they, you know, are a theocracy. We thought that it was an irrational move for the world's most, you know, history's greatest superpower to, to pull something irrational like this. Yeah. Just didn't make, didn't scan ahead of time. And then after that, it was a shock. So, um, he the guy becomes president and he's just it's just four years of chaos and now it's ending, and I think that um, he's unleashed a lot of genies. There is no one angle on Trump. A lot of fat genies that can barely stand up. Um, and I think that like what's been jarring is you know like with Obama there was like there was one meaning of Obama narrative and it's that we are making progress towards overcoming racism, right? Other than that, he was just like a very bright guy, but just te- basically like a kind of politically a- a- adept, technocratically friendly, whatever, you know, moderate. Um, there is literally infinite <laughs> angles and the meaning of Trump and like what we're to take away from this. And so what we're going to talk about now to start is like Trumpism is going to be here to stay, right? Like I think we all agree with that. But what is it? Interesting. I think Trumpism is going to be attempted many times over, but I think it is embodied completely in the man that is Donald Trump in the way that he is both a very good at the business of being his own celebrity and his own biggest booster. He is not a good businessman unless you take into the fact he's a good bi- – the business of him being celebrity, which is worth a lot and n- not many people could have foresaw given his age, particularly for people in his age bracket – You'd say something different about like the Kim Kardashians of the world who were raised in an era of understanding celebrity for the sake of celebrity. He just gets it. And so it, let me throw a name at you. Why could Dave Portnoy not be drafted by the Republicans and be the next cult of personality guy? Why could the same play? Because he would be different than Trump. He couldn't say the same things true. Trump does. But everyone that if the if the, what Trumpism is is basically an approach to to getting power, you know, like getting airwave time. By just being yourself. There's lots of influencers that are doing that. In fact, that's kind of what influencer... He's sort of a proto-influencer. He's just yeah. famous for being himself. Not not famous for being famous like uh, Paris Hilton or something. But like he was just his, his own brand and yeah. rode that to... I don't well. think... 
I can see the appeal to somebody. I am not a. I don't get me personally. Don't get Donald Trump as the appeal to him. What what the appeal is, but I can see it. I can see why somebody would be for Dave Portnoy. I don't see. I see Dave Portnoy. I see somebody in a, an Iowa corn farmer or whatever that like that would hear a Dave Portnoy rant about something political. I mean, he already does go off like he tries to antagonize AOC on Twitter and that kind of yeah. stuff, and it's it just comes off as whiny and annoying. And Trump, you could argue Trump doesn't. Do you know Trump does? Trump's the whiniest bitch. In the world. I know, but he, but he. I, it's a, I, I can't quantify it. It is very specific to him as a person. Dave Portnoy does not have it. Is whatever it is like that. Like Donald Trump has it. Yeah. Dave okay. Portnoy does not. Like Obama has it. You can point to probably people like I don't know, like political figures. Like you know, uh, the, the, actually the probably the definition of a charlatan in some degree is somebody who has it and nothing else. Right. Like uh, you know, like a Clinton or something. Like he's not really ideological at all, but he has it. Yeah. Bill Clinton probably it was another. These are American political figures. Probably JFK, you'd say too, and then other. You know, Richard Nixon didn't have it. <laughs> he had a psychotic drive to be president, but he is not like he he didn't have like star power. You know, yeah. <laughs> like he was just a smart and psychotic person. <laughs> like, I uh, see. I think it, it's a little bit more of a repeatable playbook than that. I think that it's not, I think that he definitely is an, a singular figure, but I think that it's a given that people are going to try to, especially because the Republican party is really kind of reassessing what it's good for now. You know I mean? It like the, it, a lot of what Trump did and, and said and, you know, professed was, it, it stands in opposition to, um, what conservatives want. Like, I mean, the government did pick winners and losers. The government, he ran to the left on a lot of like labor issues, for example. I mean, yeah. he was like the work, he, you know, he, uh, I mean, he rightly said what NAFTA did to this country. Yeah. Like, he was opposed he, to, yeah. And he, what none of them, Jeb Bush or any of those other people can't say, or Hillary Clinton or anybody can't say that like, Oh, well NAFTA, they could talk, have a nuanced discussion about NAFTA. Cause I'm like, okay, well you, your class of people all benefited from it yeah. and you were all personally responsible for it. Right. <laughs> like, like, and he, yeah, he ran to the left on that of Hillary on, on those trade issues and, and yeah. la- trade and labor issues. So he's not, de- he definitely was a singular um, kind of Republican and kind of reoriented them towards this myopic focus on nativism and basically just a white identity. Cause they really tried to change that and they couldn't because that was what he unveiled. I think, though, that um, what he represents to me, what Trumpism means more, is that it's it's like an approach to um, shortcutting a democratic process by optimizing for drama and, like, simplifying the world. Because drama is, like, is a fight, right? Like, what is dramatic is being in a fight um, or conflict. And he... But, clarify the world by making there's good and evil. He's on the good side and everything else is evil. Um, he set, you know, he had unlimited license to set, make his own reality, which we call like lying, but he was just, no matter what happened, he could always cast it into a mannequin fight of good, him versus evil. The other, the Democrats, the left, whatever, AOC plus three. And so he be, by creating this drama, the only thing, the only ideology he's ever espoused is that he doesn't want to be boring. And so what he did was basically, you know, we have a democratic process, which I think has a lot of benefits. Like you don't have to be like a bad person to get to the top of the, to, to win in a demo, in our system. Like if you're trying to become the prime minister of the UK, you've got to rise through the party ranks and you have to be kind of like, a, you know, rules of, um, 
What's that book by Robert Greene that uh, – oh, the, the Laws of Power. Yeah. Like 32 Laws of Power. Oh, yeah. Like you have to be like <laughs> a mafia don yeah, to like, get – yeah. For, you have to calculate and like navigate. Right, you got to take out your yeah. enemies and stuff. You could yeah. – in our system, because anyone can enter and it's open and you could just be a blithe, you know, to – you've been senator for uh, four years like Obama was at total and just waltz into the presidency. It's way more open that way. Um but what he, what he, the way that he exploited this was that he basically just create in in promising to never be boring and in, in being outlandish, and and fundamentally unifying his entire brand with that of of drama and conflict, he skipped all of these steps that were basically extraneous to the game show aspect of democracy, having a policy, you know, having allies that you, you know, that you take, you help them out when they help you out. He just stripped all this out and formed a direct connection with voters and, and just set up shop in all of our personal minds. And so that extremely, um, like I am a character in a story approach to, um, politics is I think the, the playbook of Trumpism. Wouldn't you say though, that is his understanding drama and optimizing for it is perfectly aligned with being popular specifically on Twitter and Facebook like that is what gets explicitly the most engagement there and is a good pathway to understanding like reality television, like what, like all that kind of stuff, like what makes it entertainment, what makes what makes a good entertainment. So he is kind of like this purposefully or not. He's preternaturally a perfect synthesis of somebody who understands what is going to capture the most attention. It actually, it actually kind of realization that that stuff gets in the way. Right. I mean, it's fundamentally vacuous at its core, right? Like it's, you don't know. You don't know what fucking the impact of you, the voter, what the impact of NAFTA is. And in fact, when I say it, it makes you feel stupid. So instead, I'm going to make this a really simple game. It's us versus them, and I'm the good guy. And uh, it's a huge threat that they present to us. And so now you're engaged. And not not only are you engaged, but you have a complete fact set. And I think that also lends into the conspiracy theory thing, because like one of the, I think one of the main drivers of why people like conspiracy theories is because it offers a complete fact set. Yeah. Like if you try to learn how to do a scientific discipline or something, you try to learn the history, you try to learn why, how do we actually get into like the history of free trade agreements, or whatever you're running up against articles and textbooks and academic papers written by people that are smarter, that are dead, you know, but if you get into a conspiracy theory in a few scrolls, you're now like the, the you know, exp- an intellectual explorer on the border of this, fact set like gathering new info like gathering new information like what is the hallmark of a conspiracy theory it's finding new evidence for it to support it you know you're the louis pasteur you're the like einstein of this fact set because it's complete and it's comforting and so he just made the world nice and and um simple and digestible and and uh that is trumpism uh point of contention uh Dead people are not smarter than me. I'm still alive. They're dead, so I'm smarter. <laughs> well, that reminds that reminds me of when um, his uh, doctor Bornstein uh, wrote uh, that he was uh, healthier than anyone who would ever run for president because factoring in that most of the people who had run for president were currently dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's he's not wrong, folks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, technically, he's he probably could beat up he could beat up Teddy Roosevelt right now. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt will just lay down and take it. Yeah. Um, all right. What are you gonna miss about him? I kind of we alluded to this at the beginning, but there what there is a weird. It, it was both confining and liberating the Trump administration for me. I'd say it was liberating in the sense that it relieved 
a sense of order about the world. And at first that was chaotic, but in ultimately I came to the conclusion that that was a good thing to be relieved of because it's really, I think the faster people realize that the emperor has no clothes or that he has a very long tie on, <laughs> um, is, is a faster way to not let things that you can't control interfere with your life. And I think that to me is what I'll miss about it. I think so. That, it forced you to be Zen. Yeah, kind of. I was like, I, cause it, like everybody else, I was way too much online and reading way too many things and obsessed. And I'm like, kind of like, you know, running the permutation of outcomes that could happen if this thing happened. And then I realized like, all right, nope. Like I just, I got to start, I got to start locally and then move out outward from there. And that's the, to me, that's what I'll miss. And uh, I mean, I miss a lot of other stuff, but that, that is what I'll miss. <laughs> I kind of felt the opposite. Cause I, I, I liked the, I mean, it was so stressful for so much of the time. Like, I mean, that's the thing when we look, when we were all dealing with the idea of maybe we're going to have this guy for another four years, like, fuck, it's exhausting. Like the, yeah. the, the cognitive load is higher for any, than any other person in public life. That's another fundamentally anti-conservative thing is that, you know, the government's supposed to be small. The no one, pe- the population has never spent more time thinking about the government unless they were actively committing a pogrom or like the Sun King or something, you know, yeah. than, than we've spent thinking about what this like naked oiled pig is, is thinking or like cogitating, you know, yeah. the, the thing that I miss will think I'll miss is that like, you know, what I, what I felt on election day 2016, which was that, you know, it, it, allume, it, similar to what you said, it unveiled the specter of, um, that, that this is a living thing. This like project of America is alive and it can die. You know, it, it's like relies on us to be engaged. And, um, there's an outcome to like electoral engagement, you know, like don't just fucking sit there because if you don't, if you don't, then it's going to collapse and someone else will tell you what to do. We'll be able to tell you what to do. So the sense that there was like, this is a a living, breathing nation essentially is, I'm going to miss the nicknames too. Um, Oh yeah. But you know, what was the one you were saying? Um, truly weird, Ron, Ron, (laughs) truly weird Rand Paul. I wanted to say Ron Paul because you know Ron Paul is the OG, but truly he is the, he is truly weird too. Yeah, the truly weird God, Ron I'm Paul. Off with that guy. Um, all right, and then let's uh, we'll close this out, this reminiscence out by playing a game of high low weirdo. High low weirdo. Brian, explain this game to me. Briefly. The game is just more or less if you're hanging out with your friends, you know, pick your high low and weirdo of the week, of the day, of the experience, you know. Um, or we'll do this for the Trump administration, though. So high, low, and weirdo. What your high moment was, your low moment was, and your weirdo. Define weirdo as the you determine it. So Lenny, do you want to do you want to go first? Do you want to do your high, low, weirdo? Yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll, why don't we both do highs and then we'll both do lows? That's a good idea. All right, my uh, high is just that like I thought that um, it was a good crash course in civics. I mean, it was basically like a four year crash course in civics. Like we. Um, so many of the stable mechanisms that govern our lives are not ever um, countenanced, really. And we really had to justify all of it during this. I mean, I remember um, the classic example that I always go to with this is the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Like, who comes out with the unemployment numbers? You know, Trump at one point was um, preparing to question them and uh, impugned the impartiality of the BLS. And it's full of, like, career people that take their job really seriously, and they were, like, pretty offended. 
But it kind of raised the question, like, wait, where do these numbers come from, you know? Like, who are the fucking people behind all these different curtains of this massive government? And more importantly, should the president control all of this, really? I mean, do you really want this guy, if a, if a, I'm not going to say the R word, but if an idiot like that can take charge, then is this something, is this massive apparatus, like, should he have that much control over both nuclear bombs and, like, Bears Ears, you know, uh, federal land maybe we should start to split this stuff up I I think that's like why I tweeted the other day where I was like maybe let's just try not having a president for four years and like just see (laughs) just like let it let it run on autopilot like because I think it would I think there would be like you you really wouldn't you could maybe do this with like some other country like that like is smaller and doesn't have the nuclear weapons like the United States but like I think there's just like a there if a if a bureaucratic apparatus is strong enough it would just kind of continue like unchecked or it would continue and maybe work a little bit relentlessly, but yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that also like there's room to maybe like start stripping powers away from Congress and putting them with like, I mean, I, this is like an anti-democratic thing to say, but like the dude make have just have there be more federal reserves, like have the state department be an independent thing that you can't like, you know, and it can be responsive to policy, but um, fundamentally like there's no reason why all of these, really integral aspects need to report to the same executive branch. Like why is the post office run by a guy who knows the president? Yeah. I don't know. It, it can be its own yeah. thing. Cause I want to be postmaster general someday. So. Can you imagine somebody paid DeJoy paid a shit ton of money to give up a comfortable life to go run the post office? Why would anyone do that? It's, it is weird. I think it is like a fetishized post though. Like it, like if for whatever reason, like it's like, he, like he dressed up as postmaster general during yeah. sex with his yeah. well, wife. Yeah, and exactly. Uh, it, well, he dressed up like ben, he, he dressed up like Ben Franklin, the, the original <laughs> postmaster general. He was a pony. Um, okay, that's a good one. My high is like my high and lows and weirdo. I think are way less serious. My high was just my high were all like the funny things from his like his first like international trip was my high. Oh, the orb. Yeah, the orb and like the when he went to the G seven, I think it was, and he like kinda there's a gif of him just like slapping like the Prime Minister of of like Croatia out of the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was like I was like in that moment I was like because I was so annoyed by him at that time and I was so frustrated and I was like, this is so stupid. And then in that moment I was like, oh that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> I was like I was like actually that's kinda interesting and like him touching the orb in Saudi Arabia and like Going him him getting like the first taste of being just like international boy, uh, was kind of was a little entertaining to me. He's I mean, there's so many countless moments of joy that this guy he delivers daily daily joy to his constituents in the form of his culture warrior that he is. He primarily is a culture warrior, but um, you know, like you were mentioning, like the little minions thing where he just put oh, yeah. chocolate on top of the <laughs> yeah. minion kid. And, yeah, what the fuck is this? It's it, him doing the things as the um, head of state. Yeah, like that, like that were fun for me, like as opposed to the head of government. Like, you know, it's like when he did the things because it was such a like it, you know, the the palace intrigue people and the people that are so into like D.C. power. It was both kind of like a middle finger to those people and like the pomp and circumstance around it. And also it was kind of just funny to watch. So yeah. like like those were my highs. Those were like those were the entertaining things for me. <laughs> he rules. Yeah. Um, my low was, uh, the fact that, um, I'm going to say it's an incidental thing that the ideology he chose to ride to power was white supremacy. Hmm. Um, I think that he has no ideology. 
and um, certainly he has a, de- a a basic default for whites. I mean, he is a racist guy as a person, but I think that he basically just sold. He started with who's stupid enough to buy to be interested, you know, to see value in me running the country because I'm interesting and I'm not boring like the rest of them and I don't talk down to them and stuff. The people that want that want white supremacy. They, they, the only thing they've been given by the society um, since politicians aren't improving their lives is white identity and they're sick of, you know, the PC stuff and uh, all that stuff. So th- he rode, he, he picked that as a horse to ride the same way that like corporatism rode religion for so many years, you know, into if you, you, you can put a fucking picture of Jesus on your, uh, high school, your public high school, and you give me a tax cut. Um, and so Trump, it, by uh, riding white supremacy into and making it really, really unified with the idea of America, not only that, but the idea that what America was was a fight between this and traditional values and stuff and the others. Um, it's a shame. Uh, again, my low is just, my low is just election night when he won. Uh, like That was just my low of the whole thing. Because it was like, I think that was where I the rock bottom of it was because it was already kind of a creeping sense that he might win and he won. And then I was like, well, this completely breaks with my previous understanding of reality and what am I going to do? And there's so many unknowns and I, and it, but I think it ties back to my high or my back to my, what I talked about at the top where it was just like, Experiencing that low brought me to an understanding of the world that I think is better. So I think I almost appreciate it for like, you know, it, it was just like, like I remember just being like up late, like drank way too much wine and been like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I, like the, it seemed like almost in that mo- immediate moment, a refutation of the Obama moment, which it was, and, and it was, was an important moment in my life. So I'm like, okay, well I just have to recalculate the last eight years of, mm-hmm. What I, how I thought things were going. It's not an insignificant time, amount of time. So that was my low. But then it was good because I was able to reconstruct from that. <laughs> <laughs> and get and force yourself to get zen. Yeah. yeah. Election night probably was one of the worst, if not maybe the worst, as, the worst in sing, singular moment of the Trump era. Yeah. When it started and we realized it was real. Um, I would say a, a close second was when he killed Qasem Soleimani. Yeah. Because I was really afraid, like, shit, this is now how it happens. Like, we were all worried this motherfucker's going to get us into a war. Yeah. Now he's done it, and they're going to bomb the subway, and I'm going to be on the subway right. because of something that this dumbass did without knowing what he was doing. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That, that was actually, you know, I that was always in the back of my, the Soleimani thing was in the back of my mind because I was like, that was another moment where you're just like, wait, the, oh, like, what we had feared might actually come true. But, you know, so far, so good. <laughs> what was your weirdo moment? Um, when he got COVID. I mean, the whole COVID oh, yeah. time, like, was, was, and this is more of the more recent Remember one. COVID? Yeah, but, like, uh, I mean, the whole COVID era starting in March, I mean, I guess starting in the late 2019 for the world, but starting in March in New York City, um, was just a weird time because, again, reality changed and shifted a lot. But him getting it was also me. I think that actually kind of put the, the – that was the beginning of the end. Okay, what? Like, the, like he got it? You know, like, Do you think if, absent COVID, he would have won this election? If COVID as disease doesn't happen, I think he cruises to victory easily. Like, That's interesting. Cause yeah. I, so what's interesting about that question, like, did if COVID didn't happen to the country or the world, would he have won? 
we would be in probably a really good economy because his economy was very good by the metrics that the donor class cares about. Um, and even the non-donor class, I mean, like black unemployment was doing well. He, he will be the first person to tout his uh, successes on those fronts. Um, the interesting thing is that the primary process basically selected Biden, who's like one of the worst candidates in the field, probably like in terms of just being not he doesn't have it. And uh, he doesn't have that much, and he's barely alive. Yeah. Um, but what they were trying to do, essentially, was isolate the variable of Trump and, like, put, put on the ballot, do you want Trump to be the president or do you want him not to be the president? And they couldn't do that with Pete because, you know, then you got to deal with that variable. They couldn't do it with a woman because then you got to deal with that variable. They couldn't do it with Bernie because now, you know, scary old socialist guy. And so in Biden, they tried as well as they could to isolate it. But then COVID prevented them from doing that because on the ballot wasn't just, do you want this clown? Yes or no. It was, you know, everything's bad because of the clown. So I'm probably thankful that it wasn't just an isolated question because clearly, I mean, he barely got beat. You know, I mean, like the fact that anyone can fucking vote for this guy again is crazy to me. I was thinking this, though. If we were to... um, and regarding like the question of it's shocking to a lot of us in non-Trump world that anyone couldn't vote for anyone could still vote for Trump. Um, you know, like there might be something to be said for the fact that he represents the, the sort of, or well, our narrative in liberal land is that he's sort of this sunsetting white, white nationalism. Right. And it's going to essentially as like boomers die. Um, and, uh, you know, the country's getting more diverse demographic shifts and all that, all these states turning blue. the, what that whole horse is not going to run that much longer. And so if, you know, you picture two scales, two sides of a scale kind of like gradually switching places, there is a point at which they're close, you know? And so maybe that represents, that's what we're, where we're at now. And, uh, you know, in the future it'll get more pronounced and it'll become just a more openly inclusive democracy. Go back to being an inclusive democracy. Um, I don't know. That's, that's a hopeful, um, it's Pollyanna theory. Um, my weirdo is just that I think that we, the, the Trump era where he, it coincided with the, the, the golden era of like, you, you have a designer reality, you have your own facts and, you know, in his effort to story form and create a soap opera, you know, this Manichaean, uh, you know, battle, um, he just, he said whatever was convenient to him in the moment. And it looked to us like lying, it, you know, in reality it is lying, but he really just said whatever was helpful. And that's kind of the same thing that people all across the country were doing. I mean, whatever you wanted to believe you could. And I don't think we're going to be in that era for that long. I think that our information our sophistication with information is going to get big better. I think that, um, it will end up being more regulated than it is now. And even if it's not regulated, it's like if you introduce a new drug to a population that's never had it before, they're going to get addicted to it and overdose on it before they learn how to regulate it. And that's happened with us with information. We have undereducated our population. We have too many fucking boomers who were not prepared for social media at all. Yeah. (laughs) And and so now we have this like, you know, and I think that there's a certain level of naivete that exists with all, you know, we're worried about conspiracy theories and stuff, but I don't think that like, this epistemic crisis is going to last forever. I think that it there's a certain touch of naivete where everyone thinks that they are entitled to, like, whatever I... Well, I saw this, so it must be true. I think we're going to be more sophisticated in the future. And the fact that he really was a man for his time and, like, happened to be the perfect person to exploit that designer reality 
period in our social evolution was just this weird twist that made it all that much stranger. I think that's that is a correct and astute analysis. And I think that the fan fictionalization of reality because yeah. you could just yeah custom paint you could and you could get in like in from lighthearted easy ways to where you understood what you were doing to like losing your mind and like like you know the people that were really into the uh on earth 2 like hillary account like you know like which was a joke like a twitter account but like on earth 2 hillary clinton like passes nafta 2 which just outsources more jobs Dude, now. Yeah, like or or those the, people are in power again by the way i know so it's going to be interesting well that'll that'll be an inter- the weirdo mo- moving forward we'll see what those people do with that power um th- but then also the people that just are legitimately like mind scrambled and into QAnon and Pizzagate and all that kind of stuff. And like, but to even those people, those fan fictions of reality, like part of it's grounded in truth. And that's the danger of like conspiracy theories where it's like Jeffrey Epstein had a, like a pedophile sex island. Uh, never, like, heard, never heard of him. Yeah. Like that, you know, like I'm just saying that like redact his voice, his name from the podcast. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah, well, Chinese okay. pick it up. <laughs> well, that's right. We're trying to get our, Money, you know, we're trying to grow our audience and people's Republican <laughs> China. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, uh, but yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that's a good one. That's, that's you got one. any last words for uh, Donald Trump? Uh, uh, I wish him well. <laughs> I don't. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I, I kind of hope he just slowly deflates. That's what I, 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 I'm hoping for a slow you want him to lose weight. Yeah, that lose weight in our minds and also on his body, but. He's a horrible person. He's a horrible person who represents the worst impulses of humans and like truly challenged us to just be our worst selves. So yeah, but I hope I think Joe Biden is the methadone that brings us back to a normal, non-addictive, psychotic, uh, manic state of as a society, and that we can all kind of be like, two years from now we can look back and be like, huh, that was weird, and like back to kind of just like. A liberal democracy and, that kind of autopilots itself. And like eh. some, and, but you know what though? I can't shake this idea that like that would kind of be a shame if it just it was this blip. You know, like we gotta take something from this. I think we'll take away stuff. I, the hindsight being, huh, that was weird. It'll the way we look back at a phase we had in college or something like that and be like, that was weird. Maybe I shouldn't have done. Like, maybe the I shouldn't. Thing, the thing I don't like about that is, so like I read an article about prison riots, and uh, there's like way fewer prison riots than there used to be back in like the 70s and 80s. And the reason is not because prisons, <laughs> the reason is not because prisons have gotten better, but because the guards have just gotten really good at preventing them. And you know the system faced with, um, you know, a challenge or, or like facing a symptom of a larger problem, the f- most frictionless solution is usually the um, allopathic solution of treating the symptoms instead of the cause. And so Trumpism is a symptom of something. Is it of the dissolution of America? Is it of... I mean, it's possible that Trump saved us from an impending civil war because he let out popular passions such that the people that are going to start the civil war felt like they had representation. And now that they don't, we're just heading right back to the path that we were on when they elected the black guy in 2008. I don't know. But um, it would be a shame if if it was just this like blip and nothing changed. Yeah, we've all changed. We got to start meeting. Yeah, we've all changed. <laughs> we've all changed. We're all we're all worse. All right, Brian. Let's um, let's drink the rest of the champagne. Let's do it. And uh, uh, signing off. Signing <laughs> here's, off. Here's to Uncle Joe. <laughs>